So summer series is unceasing. We've been talking about praying. In fact, we're doing our best to continue to teach it in such a way that it becomes a value. Oh, yeah, little fishers, sorry. Planet shakers, you are released. I got so wound up about the offering that I totally forgot. Unceasing. So we're going to explore these aspects of praying this summer to establish a value. And it is my intention to create a culture of praying. Every local church, in fact, Bishop spoke to this very thing uh, last Sunday. Uh, He said, every local church is a part of the mosaic of the house of the Lord. We are a house in the midst of the house. And our part fulfills a part of the mosaic and I believe speaks that part into the whole house. In other words, I know churches are, are there, there are a lot of things about churches that are, are repetitive and that they're established and that's what a local church does. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing that churches have certain similarities about it. You go to a, a Christian church, a local Christian church, and there will be certain similarities that take place within that church, no matter where you go. And that's perfectly in order. But at the same time, we also believe that when we're talking about a mosaic, that God isn't just cloning one thing after another thing after another thing, that that the church together becomes this mosaic or becomes a part of this body where each has its part, and sometimes it is better at a part than perhaps another part. And that's why we should be better at this connection We should be better at connecting with other local churches and being able to affirm their part and they affirm our part. We're not very good at that. Uh, But that would be, I believe, the heart of the Lord. But anyway, as we can only be concerned with ourselves at the moment, I believe that whatever our part may be, and we're talking more and more about that, whatever our part is, our part is to speak that revelation or to speak that understanding into the greater house of the lord in the earth and i believe that our part of that is prayer our part of that is prayer i uh i uh, have mentioned before in a previous message that in the 1980s there was a great prayer movement i believe it to be a great prayer movement that occurred from larry lee many people will remember if you were around in those days back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, You'll remember the name of Larry Lee and his book, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? And it was one of those books that was, I guess you would say, a bestseller and that uh, people gravitated to it. Uh, Paul or David Cho was another one in South Korea that were, in my estimation, and what I would call apostles of prayer. They were disseminating revelation with regards to praying in fact the anointing and the impact on those two there may have been more but on those two in particular was so great they were affecting even those that were what i would call theologically adverse how many of you know not everybody agrees on everything about the holy spirit 
But it was interesting that Larry Lee, as well as Cho, had the ability to transcend denominations and transcend some theology in order to make an impact in this area of prayer. I'll never forget uh, a name, W.A. Criswell. He used to pastor uh, First Dallas Baptist Church. Uh, Criswell was nowhere near being charismatic. Uh, he was a good expository Baptist preacher in the Baptist tradition. And yet something stirred in Criswell's heart when he heard Larry Lee and Cho and, and, and invited those guys even to the great Dallas First Baptist Church. There was something going on in the air in those days. Many of you remember, I remember Jerry Falwell. Now, Jerry Falwell was not in any way charismatic. He was clear on that point. But it was amazing to me how connected he would be to certain things like Larry or like Cho, uh, whether you thought it was right or not, he tried helping Jim Baker out in, in Heritage USA. And I believe his intentions were probably good at the time. Others don't believe that was the case. But whatever the case may be, it was interesting to me that this area of prayer seemed to be transcending those that were otherwise theologically hostile or adverse to each other. And as we began to just explore all of this, and as the Lord began to speak to me about this, really the question came to me, and I, I'm supposing it was from the Holy Spirit, when it was asked, who will carry the torch of intercession in this generation now? Who will carry the torch of intercession? And there are some great groups that are doing some great things in intercession, but in particular, the torch of intercession in the local church. In the local church. I think it's sad that you have to go to a parachurch ministry to learn how to pray. I just think so. I, I, I don't despise it. I don't, I don't say it's wrong. I think they're doing great stuff. And I think if the church won't do it, then God will raise up somebody who will get it done. But I do believe the local church is his heart in the earth. And I do believe that we're to play a part in answering that question, as well as play a part for our city in this region with regards to shall we not pray. And all God's people said, Amen. When we were filled with the Spirit, uh, God led us, we've told you the story, to Evangel Cathedral in some pretty rema uh, remarkable and miraculous ways. Pastor Miles, uh, Pastor Houston Miles, was a notable pastor in South Carolina. It was probably in its day the largest church in South Carolina. It was certainly the largest building in South Carolina. His background was Assembly of God. And while he had broken free from the Assembly of God in those days uh, and entered into the renewal movement, I can tell you, and I say this with all endearment, because Pastor Miles has probably affected me in ministry in more positive ways than I could list, but it would be no deep, dark secret because we're dealing with human beings to tell you that, that just like I'm not perfect, he wasn't perfect, and uh, there were flaws in all of us, but it was a, overall a, a balanced place, a balanced spirit-empowered church to go to. But one of the things I always, when I reflect back, I, I, I received so many important lessons, so many important concepts, and it was probably what we needed at the time. We have often talked about this. What did, what did we probably need at that time? It was probably the bridge that we needed to get us from where we were into spirit-filled things. It was, it was probably exactly what we needed. But one of the things that personally we've always lamented was the fact that we never got really established in faith 
in, in, in the faith movement. We listen to faith teachers on television. I could tell you the names of all the you know, notable faith teachers, some of which you, know, you would say, yeah, and some of which you'd probably raise eyebrows to. But the fact of the matter is, in, in that era, there was a revelation of faith that existed that we didn't get as established in as we would have liked to because honestly, through the years, if I can t- tell you one area or one gap in my life that I wish I, I would have just got more revelation on, it was this faith area. And how many of you know, faith, I think that's true for a lot of people. It's not saving faith in, in the sense of, of believing that Christ died for you and he atoned for your sins and you're forgiven. It wasn't saving faith, it was walking faith. It was trusting God faith. It was having confidence in God faith. It was will you pay this bill faith. It was will you heal this body faith. Will you make a way faith. Will you break down this obstacle faith. Will you open this door faith. And I just didn't get established in it like I I wish I'd had been when I was a young man. And so whenever I get to the topic of faith, while I have some incredible faith stories and God moved in some incredible ways in our life in faith. It's, it's, it's been one of those elusive type things for me, but, but I just want to tell you that I've got to preach some in this area with regards to faith in prayer because I'm telling you God is establishing some things because when people ask you to pray for them or when you are praying for whatever need or aspect you have for yourself or whether we're praying together for something God wants to do in us, boy, we better bring faith to the equation. And I don't care where it comes from. I don't care who the name is. If you can teach me something about faith, I'm willing to listen to it. And I will filter it through this book. If it's something that that the book doesn't support, then I probably am not going to support it either. But if it's in the book, but I don't like the messenger, that's tough on me. All right? And so... This is one of those areas I want to explore today. And I know there have been excesses. I know people, even now, there's things spinning on social media over people believing God for jets and other things. And I want, I want us just to be careful. I want us to be real careful in these days. Because it's easy for me, it's easy for me to be analytical and even critical. But I think we need to be just, I want us to be careful. Because sometimes we don't know the whole story or have all the facts or I just, I understand you can see things that it seems like this makes sense and I'm the first one. I am the, I am the chief of sinners in this regard. But it is so important right now and this is, I think this is from the Lord, I'm speaking right now, that let's be careful about undermining what other people are believing for even if it seems incredulous. Because right now we've got to believe for some just simple things that ain't happening. That we've got to get our faith back because we know God wants to move in this area. Are you following me? So I'm not here to judge what other people are believing for. That's their business. We've got some things we've got to believe for. And I'm not going to spend my time undermining someone else's faith when my faith isn't where it probably should be anyway. All right, so we're just, we're just calling a timeout to that. I don't have to buy into it. I don't have to like it, but I'm, I've, I've just said to myself, I'm calling a timeout to these things.
So we know there's excesses. We know people have laid hands on Rolls Royces and Lexus and, you know, a Chevy would get you from point A to point B. But, you know, I, so I get it. And I get that people use terms like faith to mask an ill-motived heart where it's greedy and covetous and they'll just put faith on it to mask their inability to repent for their greed and their covetousness. And just because people convolute certain things doesn't mean we neglect the true thing. I believe in prosperity. Did I not hear during offering time just pray that you all get a raise? I want you to prosper. I don't believe, I don't believe there's any more holiness in poverty. I mean, I mean, I understand God can use people who are impoverished. God can even work through that situation. But I've read too much of his word to know that, that God really wants to prosper his people, understanding the total concept of prosperity. Prosperity is not just money in the bank. Prosperity is a quality of life. Peace and joy and hope. And these things are, are, are all within prosperity. You can get money and still kill yourself. Have we not seen that? You can be multi-millionaires and still hang yourself in your third condo. So prosperity in and of itself isn't the end all. The Bible speaks of the blessing of the Lord. It speaks that the blessing will actually overwhelm and overtake the saints. But the key is our hearts. Will our prosperity and enlargement glorify God? Or like most people, will it cool our passion for the Lord? I have seen through the years, unfortunately, people that are blessed by God and they simply buy stuff and use their money in order to distance themselves from the Lord. And their prosperity has done more to hinder their spirituality than it has to help their spirituality. Can we right now commit amongst ourselves that as God prospers us, if he prospers us with money, if he prospers us with people, if he prospers us with influence, if he prospers us in whatever way he prospers us, if he gives us greater houses and greater lands and he gives us better, better stuff within our stewardship, can we just commit ourselves right now and promise amongst ourselves and covenant together that we won't lose our minds? So if I become a multimillionaire, and there's a word we have, the great wealth is coming my way. If I lose my mind, Wally, come tell me, Pastor, you have lost your mind. I'm glad you're a multimillionaire, but don't get a brain cramp. And I will do the same for you, and we will love each other in that moment. Because I'm telling you, God wants to do things in his church that are exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I am preaching prophetically. I'm telling you, I've not even, I've hit two sentences in my notes. But you know why he won't do it in the American church anymore? You know why we languish in the American church? It's because our hearts are not right. It's what Jesus said when he looked at the religious system and he said, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. We sing the songs. We say the words. We have this sort of superficial belief system. But all God has to do is put a little, uh, and, and I take that back. God doesn't have to put anything 
evil or, or wrong on us. So let me backpedal this up. All God has to do is lift his hand in order for adversity to come your way, and we instantly find out where your confidence and hope and faith is. Or all he has to do is do the opposite way. He just buries you, he just buries you in blessing, and the church will brain cramp itself every time. That's why the church is always more powerful in third world nations. You say, why do, why do people see more miracles in third world nations? They don't have anything. It's because they have to believe him for everything. Not here in America. So let's commit we'll stay out of the ditch. And since we're going to be here all summer, then I guess if I don't get through all my notes today, I'll just pick up next week. So let's stay out of the ditch, right? But we're going to preach faith. We're going to preach faith. Just because people corrupt a doctrine doesn't mean we neglect the doctrine. Just because there is legalism, we still teach holiness. Just because there are, there's silly mysticism, we still teach intercession. There's a lot of years. You say the word intercession and I'd get, I'd, I'd what, what, what do you call it? What do you call it? Uh, when, um, <laughs> it's not the chicken pox, but shingles. You say intercession to me and I get shingles. Why is it? Because, because people who probably have legitimate callings and stirrings and movings to intercession get, ah, I'm just getting in my prophetic mode, so I want to be careful. But they do, they do dumb things. And you just go, God, just get rid of it. But that's not what we do. Just because people do dumb things with faith, we don't get rid of it. Or they do dumb things with holiness, we don't get rid of it. Or they do dumb things with intercession, it doesn't mean we quit interceding. Just because people are greedy, we still teach prosperity. Just because people are lawless, we still teach grace. Just because people are presumptuous, we still teach faith. The issue is not what other people do with it. The issue is what are we going to do with it. And it is time to get to the message of which I should have been here 15 minutes ago that we be silent no more. Silence no more. And I want to read to you out of Mark chapter 11 beginning with verse 12 some fascinating passages. So Follow along with me. Now, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see, meaning Jesus, if perhaps he, Jesus, would find something on it. So when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, everyone say with me, said to it, said to it say it one more time said to it jesus said to it let no one eat fruit from you ever again i'm skipping over several passages now to get to verse 20 now in the morning as they passed by the same fig tree incident they saw meaning the disciples saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and peter remembering said to him rabbi Look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. 
For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Is that not remarkable? That was not somebody from the faith network. That was Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, believe that you receive them and what you will have them. Silence, no more. Now, the incident that we just read to you took place immediately after the temple cleansing. The last time I was with you, we talked about Jesus cleansing the temple and calling it a house of prayer. Bishop came in afterwards. He grabbed onto that Isaiah passage. He began to teach us out of that Isaiah passage about being the whole house and the house of prayer. He began to explore Mark chapter 11, and now we're just flowing in the Holy Ghost here, and I'm going to keep going with this Matthew uh, chapter, uh, Mark, excuse me, chapter 11 area because, because Jesus is illustrating to them that the house of prayer needs to understand how to recover this thing. Jesus is not just the master corrector, but he's the master modeler. He almost strangely, interestingly, curses a fig tree. Now, if you think about it, it really is kind of a fascinating story. Why would he curse a fig tree? Well, I think there are a couple things I just want to bring to your attention. The fig tree is figuratively analogous to Israel. It's analogous to Israel. Now, this is interesting. The fig tree had leaves, so it gave the initial appearance that one might expect satisfying fruit to be on the tree. But instead, when he came to it, it was barren. In much the same way that the temple, Israel, had an appearance or it had these leaves that looked like it would be bearing fruit. But when you actually begin to inspect it, it didn't really have much fruit at all. Now, let's make the leap from here and dare I apply it to the church. We may look green. In fact, the American church has a lot of green, even in the bank. It looks green, it looks satisfying, it looks like in many ways it has its act together, we can put on a pretty good show, we will rival Broadway, we have all the bells, the whistles, the lights, we have all the things that can go on, you're going to hear some of the best preaching you've ever heard in America, all of it is happening here, it looks like the tree's in pretty good shape, but when you begin to analyze it, the question is, does it have any fruit? Does it have any fruit? So Jesus speaks to it. He curses it. Now, I understand we've created a Jesus that doesn't do these things. But you just read the Bible. He cursed it. And the next day it is dead. And I just said, boy, there's a lot of theology in that one. Jesus cursing it and saying, you're not bearing fruit, be gone. But I think the key thought to the disciples was this. Amazing things can happen when you pray. Amazing things can happen when you open up your mouth and say something. 
So it's time to be silent no more. I believe that's what the Lord is saying to us. It is time to split the silence. It is time to hear the sound of our voice. Not just a voice talking to a culture, but it's a voice that must begin to talk to God. It is a voice that must begin to pray, not just pray, but pray in faith. Now, I want us to understand, and this will be a review for some of you, but I think it's going to be a great review because it's amazing how many things we know that we just let go. It's amazing how many things we know that we just let kind of fade into the sunset. We need to understand the power and the place of words. If we had this revelation of the power and place of words, two things would happen that are not currently happened. If we had this real revelation, number one, we'd pray more. And number two is we'd be cautious with what we said. Now, the possibilities of the kingdom are linked to these two things. I believe faith and words. Anytime we're wanting to bring that which is in heaven down to earth, that possibility which is in heaven down to earth, anytime we're wanting to pull healing down, anytime we're wanting to pull resource down, and I know I'm using this figuratively. I realize heaven isn't just up there, so I get that. I'm just using it figuratively. Anytime we're trying to pull into our situation a kingdom promise or a kingdom possibility, you must understand that... It is linked to your faith and it is linked to your words and what you say. Now, words activate spiritual reality. This flies by a lot of people regularly. God has linked much, if not all, of his supernatural activity to your tongue. Your tongue is the part of your body that God has decreed to be the key or the link to activating or loosing spiritual, important spiritual activity in your life. And, and if you get a hold of this, now this is what people do all the time. They say to themselves, I don't like that, I don't believe it. It's a bunch of blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. And they'll go off on their tangents. And, and go ahead, go off on your tangent. But you can't get around Mark 11 nor Matthew 21, which confirms it in the gospel that Jesus says that when something comes out of your mouth and you're bringing it to me in faith and not doubting, it will be done. What do you do with that? Well, you either believe it or you discount it. You either say Jesus is telling the truth or he's a liar. Your words activate spiritual reality. And I would challenge anybody that would want to challenge me on that by just simply putting before you the most easy illustration to give, and it's this. How were you saved? How were you saved? In Romans, it says the very thing. You confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And what did Paul say? You will be saved. So you're trying, I'm just used, go with me with this illustration. You're pulling down redemption. You're pulling down atonement. You're pulling down forgiveness. You're pulling down, you, you want to get rid of your guilt. You're wanting to be a new creature. You're, 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 all this revelation is coming. How can this be? How can this be? How is this activated in my life? You must say something and you must believe something. Or else it isn't going to happen. You can't just think doctrine. There are a lot of people that believe right doctrine, but they're, no, they're, they're, they're as lost as a goat in a snowstorm. 
You've talked to people like that. They said, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was sacrificed for your sins and that he'll forgive you if you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior? And they'll give you a clear-cut yes. But hear me when I say this. Just because you've got the schematic right doesn't necessarily mean the reality has come to you. It's the same thing in our area. If I asked you, how many of you believe God heals? I believe God heals. How many of you believe he can prosper you? I, I would hope some of you say, well, yeah, I think God could prosper me. And so we believe the right stuff. Do you believe God fills with the spirit? Do you believe there's a spiritual language? Do you believe, I mean, we can talk about all of these things that are powerful, that causes the victory to come to you and to the church's life. And everybody believes the right stuff, but we don't understand how words and what we say activate this stuff. Therefore, we, we are a spirit-filled doctrinal people, but we are an impotent people. Are you with me? It's why, it's why you have as many crazy... You think... Listen, I could go down any denomination. You got crazy Baptists, you got crazy Methodists, you got crazy Catholics and Episcopalians. I mean, you just hang around the church. I've said this before. The church seems to attract crazy. And we've got crazy charismatics who have all the promises of God available to them and they're nuts. Why is that? We, we may believe the schematic to be true, but we've never entered into the reality of speaking words and linking our faith and what that means to those words. And that's what prayer is all about. Have I offended you yet? Proverbs 18, 21. This is one of Pastor T's favorite passages. Death and life are in the power of the what? Now, he's just not talking about biological He's talking about whether or not things prosper or they die or they're impotent. He's talking about things, uh, whether, whether there's a quality of life, a great quality of life, or, or a terrible quality of life. And again, your peace or your upheaval. That's what these words are meaning. Death and life means really the quality of existence you're living. Life, in the Greek anyway, life usually is... Translated out of Zoe, which, which indicates a God-type life, a quality of life, a, a, a life that's, that's, that's at peace and at rest and has joy and hope. and all. Death and life are where? In the power of the tongue. And whatever, let me just translate this for you out of the Hebrew. Whatever comes out of your mouth, you're going to live it. That's what he's saying. So if you play, replay the old, remember the old hee-haw tune? Doom declare an agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, yeah, an agony on me. I know you don't sing that song. At least you don't think you do. You'd be amazed. Sometimes I'm amazed. And, and, and that's why I'm saying we've got to catch ourselves. John 6, 63, Jesus said, and this is a review, it is the spirit who gives this life. The flesh profits nothing. And then Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are what? Spirit and they are life. Your words literally are not just a connection of letters or syllables or sounds. Your words literally are conduits of spirit. 
there's a spiritual dimension to words. You know this to be true because you can be having, I've said this for years, a perfectly good day and you can have a conversation with somebody and they can ruin your day and all they said to you were words. Just words. I know we say the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true, is it? Words do hurt. Why do they hurt? Just words. It's because there's a spirit. And isn't that amazing that certain words latch hold and they're hard to shake? I'm illustrating the power of these words. There were words, now, again, I've, I've forgiven my, my parents and other people, but, and, I, and I know we probably did it with our kids, but there are words that I, I can remember at 58 years old, I can remember words that were spoken to me that when I was five and six years old. How does that stick with you for that long? There's a spirit to that thing. Words that are determining your destiny. Words that have closed doors to you. Words that resonate inside of you that have kept you really from moving into where at times a faith may come that causes you to see where God might want you to be. But it's those words. Words have a spirit to them. So you need to be super aware of what words you're allowing to impact you and what words are coming out of your mouth because these words have spiritual impact they sure do because if you're praying the words lord forgive me i have sinned i repent and i receive you as my lord and savior you better hope that has spiritual impact otherwise we're all still going to hell but if those words are true and if they have spirit to them, then, then they will be the conduit through which my redemption can come. Hang on, we're not done. 2 Corinthians 4.13 And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I what? That's the spirit of faith. You believe something, and then you begin to speak it. Now hear it, he didn't say, he didn't say in the same, in the same spirit of feelings. Are you following me? It's not because you felt like speaking. It's not because you were emotionally moved to speaking. It wasn't because you were in Sunday service and Brad played the song 15 times and you finally got it on the 14th time and you got the buzz and so you'll say, you know, I'm not saying, I'm saying there's a moment that everything inside of you will scream you don't believe it, keep your mouth shut, don't say it, or say the op very opposite thing. And I'm telling you, this has been to our detriment. We understand that if we're functioning in the spirit of faith, we believe, and then it must come out of our mouth whether we see it or not, because we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. And I know people say, you're not, you're not functioning in reality. Well, you're right, not this reality. But I'm functioning in another reality, which is more real than what you see. This has been forever established in the heavens. This has been eternally settled forever. What this says will outlive you. It's already outlived thousands of years of people, and it will outlive you and me, and it will still be established, and it will still say, let God be true and every man a liar. So your life, my life, our futures, promises, God's will, God's plan, God's best will never be accessed until you understand words in your mouth, your tongue. Speaking is the key. That is why prayer is powerful. 
corporate prayer is even exponentially powerful. Why? Because the scripture says, as two or more agree as touching it in heaven, it shall be what? The power of agreement. Now, can you go home all by yourself, pray by yourself, never have to come to any prayer meeting? Yes, and I'm not saying God won't bless and help, but I'm telling you, corporate life, one of the reasons for corporate life is this. We pray together in agreement together when to agree, it's a powerful, powerful proposition. The Bible says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And when you get people praying together in agreement, there is spiritual power that transcends any earthly power. There is more power in this room right now under the revelation of faith and words. There is more power in this room right now to move things in our city, our state, and our nation than, any, than in Washington, D.C., and all of those who have their fingers on the nuclear buttons to punch a bomb. We can stop wars. We can turn hurricanes. Are you getting this? So let's talk about how do we pray as effectively as Jesus. Have mercy. I don't know about you. There's always a tendency, is there not, to look at Jesus and put him in a unique category that disqualifies us from doing what he did. There's a tendency. I think we say, well, that's Jesus. Well, sure, Jesus could do it. Jesus is Jesus. I mean, I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. I mean, and so here's what we do. We understand Jesus is 100% divine and he's 100% human. And, 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 I, and I wrestle through this. Nobody else probably wrestles with this kind of stuff. But I read the Bible, and I'm always asking myself, well, is this the divine part or is this the human part? I mean, is this something he's doing because he's God and I'm not God, so why should I even care? You know, he did it, that's great, and I honor him. But, I mean, he did it because he's God and I ain't God. Does anybody else play with that? I play with that a lot. Or is this the part, the human part, which means I, I, can, I can access that, I can do that. You know what settled it for me? Jesus is 100% human, right? And 100% divine. 100% human. Now listen to me. He's 100% human. I am 100% human. So I'm already relating to him right now, right? Now I'm not 100% divine, but did not Peter say that we have become partakers of the divine nature? Now I'm not claiming to be Jesus, but I am claiming that a piece of that nature because of my new creature status when i was born again is in here that's why the bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world there's there's a piece of god so to speak i realize these are probably terrible illustrations but but i think it helps illuminate the point that there's a part of god if you have opened up your heart to jesus christ and you are a part of the redeemed and most assuredly if you're filled with the holy spirit full to overflowing that there is a part of his nature that resides in you that as you begin to look at the scripture and see what Jesus did, something needs to ignite in you that says, I should be able to do that. Well, you say, and I know people will watch and say, I don't know that I believe that. We're just these lonely toad sinners. Listen, Jesus said the works that I do, what? You shall do and greater works than these. Now, I'm just quoting Jesus and that'll mess you up every time. 
Jesus has messed up more theology classes because you just quote him. So, but how do, we, how do we pray effectively? Listen, Jesus goes, as he begins to explain the fig tree incident, he goes to the disciples and he uses this fig tree incident to springboard into this whole concept of mountain. He says, if you'll say to this mountain, now a mountain, you have to understand, is what is called a Hebrew idiom. I've said for years, it's not a Hebrew idiot. It's a Hebrew idiom. It, what it means is it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's an analogy. It's a, it is like a, or a simile, or even a metaphor. And a mountain represented, or was analogous to an obstacle, a problem, a difficulty, or an issue. Now, when Jesus was hungry, what was the issue? The issue was feeding. I, I'm hungry. And so he's illustrating this mountain. That's the problem. The fig tree becomes the mountain. I know I'm getting all messed up in all these different uh, uh, illustrations, but, but he's using this and says, this is the difficulty. It ought to be bearing fruit. It's not bearing fruit. It's time for it to go. And he speaks to that fig tree and he illustrates to them the principle of what it means to speak to mountains. Speak to the mountain and say, be thou removed. Now hear me when I say this. Our speaking in prayer has, has two sides to it. One side is obviously speaking into existence the blessing. I'll get there in just a minute. But the other side of it is, for instance, God forbid any of you were to get cancer. We break cancer over the congregation in the name of Jesus. But if cancer were to arise in you, what that means is you speak to that devilish cancer in you and say, I speak to that cancer and I curse that cancer at the root. Dry up and be gone. In Jesus' name. Are you following me? That cancer becomes your fig tree. It ought not be there. It has no reason to be there. It has no reason to be doing what it's doing. Curse it at the root. And then obviously you'll eventually speak your health or your healing. All right? But, but, but let's talk about it. How do you pray about such things? Will you give me just a few more minutes? Just a couple minutes. All right? If I can save your life or change your life, or if we can change the quality of your life, in about 10 minutes, it's worth letting the Baptist get before you in the buffet line. How do you pray about such things? The first one is the word see. Jesus saw a fig tree. He talks about to the disciples that there's this mountain. You see this mountain. Now, now, this is interesting to me. Jesus could have said one of two things. He could have said, tree, bear fruit. Or he did, said what he did say, which was curse it. And personally, I think he did number two. This is just me kind of speculating. I think he did number two to demonstrate supernatural power because number one could have been diminished because it already had green leaves. So I think Jesus wanted to make the unquestionable point that words contain power. I think that was embedded within this illustration. So we must see the issue. Don't deny the issue. The issue is real. It's standing in front of you. That mountain is there. I can see the snow-capped top of that obstacle. And begin to have the faith to begin to see it. And then, then number two, you move to be, being able to say some things to it. In fact, I counted in the passage I just read to you that there were seven times that the word said, say, or speak 
was mentioned seven times in that one passage. Romans 4, 17, I love. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He said to Abraham in the presence of him, whom he, meaning Abraham, believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. See, God, when God created the world, he didn't roll up his sleeves and grab mud from somewhere and just began to create. How did he create the world? He He spoke. He spoke. And we need to understand that as a partaker of that nature, we have the capacity to speak some things, calling those things that be not as though they were. It never says to deny those things that are as if they weren't. You know, it's like when someone gets sick and, they're, and you're kneeling over the porcelain altar and you're, and you're getting sick to your stomach and you're getting sick there and it's just the worst thing, getting sick. And you can't sit there going, I'm getting sick. And you're going, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I am not sick. No, you're sick. You're sick. Stay away from me. You're sick. It's not calling. It's not denying what is as if it weren't. It's calling those things that be not as though they were. In other words, I am healed of the Lord. I am healthy of the Lord. I am mending of the Lord. Are you following me? We've got to begin to say faith is primarily released either by an act of obedience or by the words of your mouth. Faith. James tells us faith without works, or literally in the Greek, what that means is faith without corresponding action is dead. So you don't have faith if you aren't doing something with it. You don't have faith when you're not either acting on it in obedience or you're speaking it in obedience. Otherwise, you don't have faith. Don't tell me you have faith and you do nothing. Faith is not couch potato. Faith is not just sitting around hoping. Faith is speaking, praying, speaking, or acting in obedience. You're doing it before you even see it. You're responding in some way before it ever happens. We've done this through the years. We've sold houses before we ever knew why we were selling it. Why? Because God said sell it. And it had to be, you you can say, well, I guess if you send me a buyer, I'll sell it. No, I said sell your house. (laughs) Think about the scripture. It's like when God said, take your son up the mountain and sacrifice him. It's like, what are you talking about? All right, I guess I'll do it when you you prompt me again. No, God says take a step and, and I'll get it worked out. And a part of that is with your words. We had to learn that with Kalen. We told the story about Kalen being dead in the womb. That was one of the, those times where we desperately started speaking life. What did you do? I spoke life, life. We speak life to your womb, life to that child, life, life, life. And I learned it because the first child that was miscarried, it's because I cursed it. And I, and I acknowledge and am responsible fully for what took place. I didn't want that baby. I didn't think we should have another baby. I wasn't listening to the prophetic word of the Lord. I was selfish. I was self-centered. It was my fault. I've told my wife. I've repented for that. And the reason that first child died is because God needed to send an angel like he did to Zacharias and he needed just to zip my mouth shut for nine months. But God didn't do that. And I just... Till finally I just... I just cursed it away. I live with that. Now, I'm glad there's a piece of me that's glad because of Kalen. And it's like he gave me another shot. And I'm glad for that redemptive moment because I, I, this is, I'm modeling this for you. Would you just own some things that you screwed up on and you messed up on? You just own it. Just own it and repent for it. And just 
teach it as a life lesson to other people and say, don't be as dumb as I was. Even as parents, we need to learn this as parents. You look at your kids and say, yeah, I did a lot of dumb things, but I'm telling you, don't be stupid like me. But I'm glad he gave me a redemptive moment that, that when we had that second challenge, I had the ability to say, not this time. I speak life, I speak life, I speak life, and we saw a miracle. Actually, I saw two supernatural things. I cursed it, and then I actually had the opportunity to help resurrect it because of words. Some of you have done supernatural things all your life. It's just been by way of cursing. You said, you said such negative things all your life, and it's happened to you not even realizing what miracles have taken place all around you. You've confessed lost jobs. You've confessed drying up of resources. You've confessed sickness. We've confessed all kinds of things, and it's happened in your life. And you said, see, I told you so. And not even realizing it was a miraculous moment for you because your words, your words had the power to begin to unleash the very thing. That's what Job said. He said, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. So that's what we do. We talk like that, and then it happens, and we go, see? Then, well, you, can, you confessed it, and it happened. should have said hallelujah. I lost my job. Hallelujah. I in, I'm in bankruptcy. Praise the Lord. I spoke it into existence. We won't do that, will we? The third thing, I'm hurrying. third thing is you must be sure. You cannot doubt in your heart, Jesus said. You must be sure. This is another one of those, man, these are another one of those tough areas. Romans 4, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. Come on, everyone say that word with me. Say fully convinced. One more time. Fully convinced. Fully convinced. Fully convinced. Not halfway convinced. Not a quarter ways convinced. Fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And that was the Kalen passage. A sense of confidence, a refusal to let it go. I've been hearing the word of the Lord come forth in this congregation, reminding us of these very things. It is time to be fully convinced, no longer wavering, no longer double-minded, fully convinced. It took four years. I, I told you, I sewed a car. It took four years to receive a car from sewing a car. And during that time, I had to catch myself in some of the things that I was saying. But it comes a moment. It may take more than just a week. It may take more than a month. It may take more than a year. There may be some years involved in you maintaining your fully convinced status. But that's the question of who we are in Christ Jesus. Are we like the world that shifts like a reed in the wind? Or are we like an anchor that stands because that whom we, he whom we serve is our anchor? And then finally, and I'm ending. Praise God. You got to seize it. He says, if you pray, no doubt, no doubt in your heart. You must believe that you receive, right? I like that word receive. It's been, been years since I preached on the word receive. Receive comes from the Greek lambano. And, and, and it, it can mean to receive, but it really literally means to lay hold of. To lay hold of. Sometimes receive sounds passive. 
That's what we do as charismatics, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm just receiving. It's kind of like a rotisserie. I'll turn around like this. Now, Lord, catch this side. I'll receive it on this side, too. I want to make sure both sides are done. Yeah, get me fully cooked. Receive means to lay hold of. Literally, I could use the concept of to seize. There comes a moment when you have to lay hold of something. Before you ever see it, you've got to lay hold of it in here. You lay hold of the promise. You lay hold that it's true. You lay hold that it's as real as if it were here right now. I remember Jerry Falwell used to say when he'd pray for people and then he'd have them go through the sinner's prayer to receive Jesus. And he said, you got to believe that, that you're destined for heaven as if you were already there. It's a good phrase. you got to lay hold of it. I know I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know that I know. I have laid hold of it. I have seized it. Listen to this. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. In other words, the devil is throwing all hell at you. Can, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Come on now. We're not denying reality. I've swam through the... I, the lava of hell more times than I can count. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Satan is throwing junk at us constantly. But Jesus said, in reference to John the Baptist, he said, and the violent take it. Take what? Well, you, you have to you take the things of the kingdom. The violent take it. How? There is something in you that's got to get forceful. There's something in you that has to almost get, uh, you're not carnal, I don't want to make it, I don't want to obscure what I'm saying, but you know how when you are carnal, and it's just like, doggone it, and it just ain't going to be that way. Like you found a charge that's on your charge card that ought not be there, and you pick up the phone, I'm talking about doing that in the spirit. I'll be doggone if they're going to put $50 on my charge card, and I wasn't the one that charged it. Somebody's going to hear about this. They messed up my account. Somebody's going to change this thing. You know how it is. You mess with somebody's bank account, and I guarantee you, you'll, you'll know what it is, the violent take it by force. That's what, now again, you're not being carnal, but there's something in your spirit that says, that ain't right. That ain't right that the devil's taking this stuff. That ain't right that Satan has had his way. That ain't right that this has happened in my household. It ain't right that somehow or another things have dried up. It ain't right that what we're doing here, even as a ministry, for whatever reason, God has decided some of these things and Satan has probably decided some too. But it's just not right. When is it that we rise up and say, it ain't right? And the only way it can be dealt with is when we pray and begin to seize it again in the Spirit. Most people don't seize things in the spirit till they finally get their cancer. Or you're finally going to bankruptcy court. It's true, we don't pray. This is my famous Facebook quote. People don't pray until, and I'm going to say it, until their butt's in a sling. If your tail is in a sling, oh, you'll pray. You'll call your friends, you'll pray, 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 pray. But as long as, long as you can get by... 
Come on. We got to we got to break that. That's why revelation comes. Revelation breaks that mentality. We must begin to seize it. Guys, come on up, will you?